This is the Cinema for All podcast. The celebration of going to the cinema with Jack Chell and Abby Standish. Welcome back to the Cinema for All podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm Abby. And we are so excited to share the fourth episode of season two with you. We truly are. Our podcast is a celebration of going to the cinema. The people that make cinema, the people that go to the cinema and the experiences that you can have there. And this season we're looking at a little bit behind the scenes. Who's doing that work? Who's making these films? Who's running these cinemas? And what memories lie there? So we're super excited to share this with you. And we've been running around all over the place to get some good stories. So we hope you enjoy. Yeah, we can't wait to share it with you all. First, though, do you want to set up your very own cinema space? After listening, go to cinemafall.org.uk or get in touch with us and find out how to set up your very own community cinema. We will help you! Today we've got more behind-the-scenes goodies for you, the second of our Restoration 2-parter. Jay and Abby visited Park Circus up in Glasgow, who are the distributor of many of those glorious 4K restorations you get on your cinema screens. These guys bring you the good stuff. If you want more podcast gold and restoration, check out episode 3, which features our visit to ITV content delivery in Leeds. It's a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes archive stuff. It's also a great one too. But first, what is going on in the world of film? Abby, what have you been seeing at the cinema lately? Well, at the cinema, I've seen Rocks. Oh, yeah. Which is the new Sarah Gavron film, who directed Suffragette, which was really well received. Amazing. And now she's teamed up with a whole other bunch of amazing women behind the camera and in front of the camera. And it's a really good British story about a young girl and her friends at school. And her mum leaves her and her brother and she's trying to make sure she doesn't get put into care, basically. And she's doing this balancing act. Um, But it just seems very realistic. It seems authentic and it is showing some of the difficult, sad parts of of this life. But also this lovely friendship um, and that special kind of bond of like young women um, which is, is just really nice to see so I was really impressed with it when I saw it amazing I mean that's the kind of stuff that we want to spend our money on isn't it stuff made by women stuff with female creators a lot of content about women so yeah people should go and spend their money on that at the cinema yeah just a really good strong British film hope people enjoy it great what else and and then I haven't seen much else at the cinema recently but I've oh, been have doing, you been hibernating I've been hibernating a little bit <laughs> and not loads has taken my fancy at the moment, mm-hmm. but I've watched King of Comedy at home. I love King of Comedy. So I'm good. So, so glad. I watched it quite recently too. What did you think? I really, really enjoyed it and I'm really glad I didn't know loads about it. I just knew that it had Robert De Niro in it and it was about a comedian. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say too much more because I know producer Jay really wants to see it and <laughs> I don't want it to be a spoiler. Given as evils. But um, it's a really good... Scorsese film I think the colours in it are incredible mm. it captures a very interesting time in New York like that kind of plays a bit of its own character um, and I think it is a masterclass of acting yeah. I think the performances are genuinely brilliant and it feels really fresh and relevant even today yeah that new joker film a lot of that was influenced by king of comedy uh, one of the things that i really love in um in is, is jerry lewis who i'm a big fan yes. of he's fantastic in it he's so understated and he plays such a different role to how you normally see him being that madcap comedian that's kind of all over the place and he shows a lot of restraint in the film and i think he stands up to somebody like de niro who's one of the greatest actors of our time i agree i think it's so unique to see that flip of the madcap 
excellent clown of of of, of comedy playing the straight man. Yeah. So yeah, really, yeah. Um, really impressive film. And I also watched Tully at home. Right. Yeah, it was a Jason Raymond movie with. Um, it's Diablo Cody did the script, and so they're back together again. Who did Juno and Young Adult, and it's uh, Charlize Theron, um, Mark Duplass. You, you know, you classic Love. indie indie people there as well, and it's kind of got a, like a little bit of an interesting take on a story of motherhood. Mm. Uh, and again, I won't say any more because I don't want to spoil it. But it kind of went into a surprising place, and I enjoyed that. It was a good little indie film. Mm. Um, and then The Truth About Cats and Dogs. Oh, I haven't seen that in years. That's like a real watch it on the telly thing for me. Yeah, mm. it feels like that when, you, when, when you're watching it. And it was quite good. Mm. I just wanted something really like, you know, what what uh, I refer to as zhuzhy, just something like... Zhuzh you up a bit. Zhuzh comfy. Yeah. Like it's not going to ask loads of you. Just needed that when I was eating my tea. And yeah, it was great. Ian Thurman. Um, some great pets in it. Just that a nice 1995 comedy. Amazing Abby Standers review. It's a film I enjoyed to watch whilst I was eating my tea. Yeah. Three stars. Every film has its place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Three stars, baby. Put that on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> Good with beans on toast. Yeah. I think I was eating that. What about you? What have you seen? Um, so I went to see Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is uh, quite a recent E1 film. Um, and it's based on a true story. So it's a guy called Jimmy Fails, and he lives in San Francisco with his best friend Mont. And they they kind of they kind of odd job guys, but they spend a lot of their time going around San, San Francisco. And the camera kind of observes all the different changes to the neighborhoods and and um, the gentrification and the Silicon Valley effect and all those sorts of things. And there's this one house in this particular area of San Francisco that Jimmy grew up in and that he says was built by his grandfather and they go there all the time even now this um, completely other couple live there this sort of middle-aged white family um, live there and they're not taking great care of it so Jimmy and Mont go and they, they restore it they keep sort of painting little bits and then being caught and being chased away um, and it's really about um Jimmy's bond to the property and how he kind of sees it as his house still, even though it's no longer part of his family and kind of their endeavours to get back into the house and to be part of it and and uh, not even to own it, just to occupy it, really. Um, I found it not as great as I was wanting it to be. I did enjoy it and I found myself thinking about it a lot after the film. Um, but it was the first first film by that director and it's got a couple of music video qualities to it um, there's there's a lot of shots where they're both kind of riding together on the same skateboard and going through the neighbourhoods and it's very beautiful and very atmospheric but I, I, I kind of lost sense of the film and it has a lot of plot elements that I don't necessarily think tie together but there's something haunting about it that hasn't quite left me and I do keep coming back to it so I really do recommend people watch it and, and I'd be happy to have conversations with people because I think it's really interesting that sounds really good and yeah. and like you say if it's if it's making you think about it it sounds like there's promise in that director maybe mm. for the next film or yeah I absolutely think so I think maybe that the director was tied to this particular story because it's based on a true story and the guy is playing himself Jimmy Fails is playing himself um so maybe once he's got some different material, we'll see something different from him. There's definitely a lot of promise, and it you know it's made me feel things. So, so I'm I'm I've I've taken something away from it, even though I may not have enjoyed it as much as I wanted to in the moment. Great. 
And, you know, I've kind of hibernated a little bit as well. So I've watched a couple of things that have um, come up new to streaming services. So I watched Vox Lux. Um, the Brady Corbett film with Natalie Portman, which I did really want to see at the cinema when it came out, but it just kind of clashed with too many things that were happening that week and it was out for a very short period of time because it got very bad reviews. And um, I was excited for this because I like Childhood of a Leader, the film that was by him previously. And uh, I love Scott Walker and the soundtracks by Scott Walker. And Sia did the pop songs for it as well. But... Um, I'm allowed to say it was crap, producer Jay. It was crap. <laughs> I did not enjoy it at all. It was it was uh, kind of cartoonish, and I didn't think don't think it meant to be. Um, so Portman, she's playing kind of a Madonna, Lady Gaga character who's experienced some kind of trauma in her childhood, and that there was a school shooting, and that kind of kickstarted her career as a singer and a pop star. Um, but she does this ludicrous Staten Island accent that's absolutely just ridiculous really ridiculous and I think the gal that plays her as a teen who's actually I think she's from Salford or somewhere is, is much better wow, much, really? does a much much better performance she's probably the standout role it's also got Jude Law in it doing a ridiculous New York accent <laughs> they are distracting um, but and the last uh, I hope this isn't a spoiler I don't think it is the last 20 minutes or so of the film are just a pop concert of Natalie Portman in concert pretending she's Lady Gaga with zero charisma. Oh, no. Zero charisma. Very little danceability. Very stiff. Um, it was choreographed by her husband who who also choreographed Black Swan. Um, yeah, it was crap. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes, well, indeed. maybe I'll give that one a miss then. I was yeah. thinking about it when it came out, but then it kind of, like you said, it wasn't at the cinema very long at all. No, I do kind of want you to watch it so you can see. <laughs> Just so we can talk about this performance at the end. Like, yeah. you know, you can be a star in many ways. And I do think Natalie Portman is a star and I think she's a great actor the rest of the time. But she is not a pop star. I'm afraid. You heard it here first. Damning. <laughs> Damning. Um, I also watched the film Dolomite is My Name, which is uh, Eddie Murphy's It's kind of a bit of a comeback, really. And it's a biography of the guy who made the Dolomite films and all of his friends. Um, it was okay. It was a bit of a straightforward biography. It made me just want to watch the Dolomite films, actually. So I think I'm probably going to do that. I'll follow up with just watching those. And then finally... I watched Charade, 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 you choose. Um, and I loved it to shreds. Um, I was a big Audrey Hepburn fan growing up, um, but somehow I've missed this. Why? What Why? A, what me a failing. Too. Why has nobody pointed me in the right direction of this? It's ridiculous. <laughs> but um, what a gorgeous, silly, fun, suspenseful film. And I'm very pleased to have got to 35 and not had the ending of this film spoiled for me. So feeling pretty lucky. I'm going to watch it this week just so that do it. I can say also that I haven't had it spoiled and it sounds right up our street. Right up my street. How are we not... How has it taken this long for us to watch? Well, I haven't I even watched know. it yet, but like... I it, don't know. I think that maybe it was not... Because oh, cause I'm old. It was not out on VHS when I was a teenager. It was perhaps not on TV. So it's just kind of skipped me by and it was definitely not in my Audrey Hepburn box set. Um, but I just loved it and she's so incredibly funny in it like often people focus on how beautiful she was and how demure she was and how delicate she was but she's absolutely hilarious oh, in she's it. so funny it's a very funny film 
So can't wait the, to watch it. The rapport they have between them is just spot on. Very, very funny. Everybody go and see Charade this weekend for maximum cozy points. Oh yeah, get them cozy points. Have that beans on toast. Two beans on toast, get your blanket out, pop charade on, don't watch Fox looks. It's crap. <laughs> <laughs> A Dog Called Money. A journey through the inspiration, writing and recording of a PJ Harvey record. Out 9th of December on DVD and Blu-ray, A Dog Called Money. So shall we get into the segment, Abby? Let's do it. We went to Glasgow to visit Jack Bell at Park Circus in their lovely offices, which have some of the nicest classic film posters I've ever seen. Ooh. You would have melted if you saw the funny face one. Oh. So, so good. But let's get into it. Let's get into it. There's lots of work that goes into making films available across the world to get screened in cinemas, especially older films. It's kind of a misconception that older films are easier to get. Some of this work includes rights checking, paperwork, and working with archives and the estates that actually own the classic films. And a film can make quite a journey before it's played in front of our eyes at our favourite cinema. The distribution side of the film industry is perhaps where a lot of people don't see the work going on to make things happen, particularly retrospective films. We travelled to Glasgow to have a chat with Jack from Park Circus to see the other side of making sure our film heritage is kept alive and made available. Park Circus, basically, we aim to make sure every film finds its audience. Um, so, you know, we, we represent all the major Hollywood studios, um, a lot of other smaller uh, catalogues where, you know, it's maybe owned by the family, um, you know, for example, the Harold Lloyd Library, you know, is um, run by his granddaughter, um, you know, who's very passionate about about um, his films and making them available to audiences. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned ITV there, we, we represent their back catalogue too. Um, so, you know, the Pell and Pressburger films, a lot of David Lean films and so on, uh, Film 4 as well. So I would say um, it's a real mix of classic British and Hollywood films that, that we represent. And um, basically, you know, our, our main kind of business is um, licensing those films to screen in cinemas and film festivals, um, but, you know, all range of, of, uh, of venues. So, you know, it can be uh, huge multiplexes to the Cannes Film Festival, who along with most other major film festivals now have a classic section that showcase new restorations or perhaps have a, a key retrospective maybe linked to a guest that might be attending and so on to you know big independent art house theatres to you know smaller theatres as well and um, you know the the type of screenings that we put on um, are you know the the majority of screenings that, that, that we are involved with are theatres contacting us directly uh, to clear the clear the screening rights to, to show that film um, and you know be the theatre that has a, a reason to, to want to show it um, and um, we also though have you know titles or seasons or, or ideas that we proactively push to, to theatres as well um, or to or to film festivals too um, that might be because a film has been recently restored or um, you know there might be a, an anniversary for a film that lends itself well to, to a push um, the audiences can 
kind of use as a way to celebrate seeing that film again back in the big screen. Um, to titles that um, you know just might have um, great context around it, I guess, and that uh, that you know we feel in in conversation with our studio partners, with exhibitors, um, and with audiences as well. That you know there there might be great context around the film that merits a re-release of it too. So we do. A, there's a real mix of you know proactive. Um, uh, release, releases and um, you know screenings that that we kind of facilitate or that we that we um, kind of push, and um, you know literally thousands, um, if not into the tens of thousands of screenings that um, where theatres are contacting us to to clear those rights. Um, I mean we represent um, you know approximately um, around twenty five thousand films. Um, you know many of those. Um, you know, very rarely get get booked or, or screened, um, and sometimes that's purely because there's not uh, sufficient screening material. Um, but you know, it's a huge a huge library of films, and um, you know, our office here, our main office here in Glasgow, uh, we have one in London as well, one in Los Angeles, and in Paris. Um, you know, we um, we basically work all around the world, um, and you know the. Uh, we, you know, I mentioned that we've got an office in the U.S. as well in Los Angeles, and and that um, you know they represent a smaller portion of uh, the libraries that we represent internationally. But um, you know, although um, you know we are a registered UK film distributor, really we're an international film distributor, um, and that's a that's a massive part of our business. So you know, time difference is always a factor with that, and you know, you're just working with people all over the world, and it's it's really um, enlightening and uh, and interesting, and then through that as well. You see what um, you know. What other programmers and theaters and audiences in other countries, you know, what uh, different titles might book in different places, and um, so you're constantly you're constantly learning, but also working with people in um, in different ways. But ultimately, effectively, just to, as I say, make every film find its audience. At the end of the day, you know that that really is the ethos of the company: is to make it easy for people to screen a film. For whatever reason they want to screen it, you know we're really there to help facilitate that. Um, Getting films out to audiences is at the heart of what Park Circus do. So we wanted to know more about what leads them to rediscovering classics and lost gems and sharing that rediscovery through cinemas around the world. Yeah, I mean for for us, um, you know we we don't have any one focus in terms of, um, you know, wanting to focus on any specific part of film history or. Um, you know, just focus on necessarily titles that are now restored. You know, we we really want to, in in terms of titles that um, are rediscovered in a way, we're basically, I feel, there to to help make sure that they can be rediscovered, whatever the film may be. So whatever audiences are looking for, whatever theatres want to show, we want to help make that happen. And as we've grown as a as a company and um you know yesterday for example we had a a big team meeting across our staff here in glasgow and in london to talk about what titles can we particularly highlight next year that um either would be more of a rediscovery or just would be titles that um at, you know as i alluded to before might be restored or, or might you know merit um a, a re-release or some kind of you know, push from us that, that we can propose to exhibitors. Um, and of course, it's then up to the exhibitors and audiences to, to react to that, um, hopefully positively. But really, you know, a lot of work goes on just to, um, you know, make sure that those titles that people want to 
put on the big screen that that can happen um and you know we're we're not here to uh, sort of preach you know what should be what should be played in that sense at all you know we're we're obviously um we're also here to represent the studios and make sure that uh, their libraries are um are uh, made available to to theatres around the world so that you know it's a commercial business for us at the end of the day you know we we don't have a kind of cultural remit in a sense in that way but that also is very um that kind of ethos is very much in the background for us and um and will sometimes at the forefront of our minds really to help uh, to help you know make it um, make these films available um, you know we're, we're we're so privileged to represent a massive portion of film history at Park Circus um, you know representing for example the Howard Lloyd Library or libraries like the Cohen Film Collection who have done a lot of work in restoring um, films that are part of their library you know the main ones being the Buster Keaton classics like the General Steamboat Bill Jr and so on and you know, you, 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 you attend these screenings and, um, you know, something like that where there might be a, an orchestra playing a live score alongside it and you just see people of all ages looking at it. And often they will never have seen that film in that way before, especially a film obviously as long ago as that. There won't be people around that will have seen it on first release when you go back that far, but um, it's a really magical thing. And um, and I think that's the that's the satisfaction I have is being part of that very initial conversation of speaking to that that venue or that organizer who wants to put that on and helping to make it happen and um, there's the commercial element to it as well of course but you then see the hundreds if not even thousands of people that, that watch that and the, the smiles on their faces and the fact that a film from 1926 can still uh, engross audiences in that way and it, it's um, extremely satisfying and um, you know I think that but that you know there's um, there's so many films that don't that aren't necessarily rediscoveries, but that are just enduringly popular. Um, you know, it's a wonderful life. For example, is is probably the biggest example for us in that sense that people just every year will want to watch that again and again on the big screen, and it's a social occasion. And um, you know, I think it really shows the. Uh, the audience is still there for classics in a cinema, uh, despite these films um, and you know the, the bigger classics, as you say, that might be readily available elsewhere. There's still that um, kind of magic to seeing it in a, on a big screen, and um, I think the challenge is making sure that that continues and uh, promoting um, why that's um, why that can be so enjoyable. Um, exhibitors obviously thinking of that as well, but from my experience, you know. I obviously I, I work in in sales um, in the company and um, you know we um, I think exhibitors are now more than ever looking to have repertory films as part of their program and and that um, that goes to multiplexes as much as it does um, you know the independent theatres that as I say might have a more of a remit to to play those films and to cater to their audiences in that way so. Um, so that gives us the enthusiasm to really, you know, kind of um, uh, develop our business and, and work with these people and uh, help grow it even more. We asked Jack about balancing classics that are already a big part of our film heritage and also making sure there is diversity in the stories and the makers of those films available for re-release. I mean, it's. Um, I think it's something that... Um, you know, we are just internally very passionate about. We, we really want to make sure that... Um, there is a diversity to what we actively push ourselves, and I think that's you know that's um, that's really important, and especially too now when it is easier to distribute films um, around the world, you know through um, you know DCP format. As I said, you know you can 
um, you can make these films more uh, more easily available to people. And I think it's really up to us um, through you know the experience we have within our team, through speaking with programmers um, from you know from the British Film Institute to the Glasgow Film Theatre to smaller venues to programmers that look after you know multiplexes and. Um, and so on. So you know, we 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 meet with with these people very frequently and are in constant dialogue with them. Likewise, you know, the um, the studios whose catalogues we represent too, and and maybe what they might be planning themselves through home entertainment releases or um, you know um, other kind of streams that they might be putting things out on. So I think it's um, you know we. We want to kind of we want to make as much available as we can, um, and you know I think it's it's really up to us to to make sure that it's um, uh, you know it's possible for people to do that. I get I guess you know I think um, you know next year we we've uh, had some initial um, discussions around um, around titles that we'd like to do and you know very potential ideas are you know looking at something like a league of their own around international women's day for example and you know kind of um you know off the back of the women's football world cup and how how successful that was and the story behind a league of their own and it could be a it could be a really kind of fun celebration that you know tackles a lot of the conversation going on around right now in many ways you know women in sport equal pay and so on and so I think it's um but you know it's also a classic that has Tom Hanks and Madonna mm -hmm. and it's got a commercial appeal to it so therefore might be able to reach a wider audience that in turn can have um, a great PR and editorial message behind it too um, and something quite fun at the end of the day and hopefully very engaging um, so I think it's um, you know it it's you know it, it varies so widely I think you know we're in a position where we can make so many films available and although we have lots of re-releases that, that we put out there there's so much wonderful work that um, theatres individually will, will do um, where they'll be putting on events and they'll be highlighting um, they'll be highlighting certain certain films or catalogues that uh, hopefully shows that diversity that's you know more and more required I think um, and but all we're really doing is just helping to make that happen by making sure they can they can screen that film, they can screen it in the best way possible. Um, and in turn, you know, we, we do lots of marketing work that's not linked to re-releases that we are doing, but just to support the exhibitors that um, that are doing their own thing to an extent. Um, and so, you know, we partner a lot with well, organizations like Bird's Eye View, for example, again, to focus on women in film, but, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, to talk about, you know, a major uh, film and, um, you know, uh, in terms of black culture, Do the Right Thing was a, a big one for us this year in the, in the summer. Really, the focus on that, though, to be honest, was it's just a great summer yeah. classic. Um, it had its 30th anniversary as well. Universal had restored it in 4K, so, you know, it looked... Um, fantastic on the big screen and um, you know Spike Lee was doing a lot of communication around that film over the course of the year as well and um, but it was also just a you know a great opportunity to make sure that we were releasing a film that um, you know kind of diversifies a little bit what we're doing um, you know Alien was a, a very successful release for us this year as well which had lots to it and our release strategy for that film was to release it a week before Captain Marvel, for example, and really to kind of try and hi there's many many things to, you know, highlight about Alien as a as a kind of staple classic within film history. But one of the 
big ones being you know Sigourney Weaver in that role as um, you know one of the rare at its time lead female action roles and um, and you know what a performance that was and um, and linking that to Captain Marvel and all the uh, a lot of the campaign focus on you know that was the focus of a lot of that campaign as well um, and that I think that worked really successfully for us you know it came out a week before Captain Marvel in early March it also again was restored in 4K there was the 40th anniversary of the film in that case and there was the documentary Memory as well this year that talked about you know the the making of that film too, which is excellent, and um, and you know that that in turn, you know you you see the kind of uh, the length of such a campaign around a film, you know, with that time with the documentary that was playing around festivals all around the world. Alien, especially in a new restored copy, was then played alongside that film in, in a lot of festivals um, and continues to do so. Um, so you know there's. You know, there's so many elements, I guess, to these films, and um, you know, we try and be as mindful of all of them as possible. And um, but again, you know, really just to uh, just to make it easy for people too, because um, you know, I'll, as I say, a lot of what we do isn't necessarily just about the the releases. You know, um, we will literally license thousands of films every year, but might re-release between six and ten. Mm. So you know, there there's so much work that we do to kind of help facilitate. Um, other films being played and you know help promote conversations around them too and and also you know I think it's it's um, although there are the kind of staple classics that that people focus on like Alien or like Lawrence of Arabia or Do the Right Thing, um, you know there there are, are venues that we work with um, like for example the Prince Charles Cinema in London that are a repertory only cinema that you know will play certain films and then over the course of perhaps even five years build an audience for it there then becomes online discourse around that film and then it turns into a classic you know there, there are certain you know so I think it's I think there there is a um, you know kind of view on looking back at film history and what are considered classics and what continuously play and um, you know sometimes there can be a um, you know, concern around um, the diversity of, you know, say the top 100 films, you know, how many on, on such a list feature female film, uh, filmmakers or, or you know, have a role like Sigourney Weaver's and Alien at, at its forefront. But that can change over the next 20 years by showing other films that can be made available and that can, you know, become classics that, you know, you never know how, you know, how, you know, it might be a film that was in the 80s or even the 50s and might not be considered a, a classic now, but it might become one just through um, through building an audience by repeating screenings of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, there, there becomes a... Um, a kind of um, a following to it, I guess, and you know, you you, you kind of you wonder as well. A lot, a lot of films that we book now as a repertory film distributor are films that um, you know have just passed their second run. So you know, we a, a lot of the films that we that we license are films that were released two years ago, as much as they are films from the nineteen twenties. And you know, a title like Call Me by Your Name, you know, that's almost considered a classic now, like a modern classic, and is. Um, is now one of our most popular booked films around Valentine's Day, um, and you know there's um, a lot of uh, there's a few kind of great independent cinemas doing uh, double bills with that and Stop Making Sense as well, which has been really popular. And you know th there's ways of encouraging um, you know these films to 
be shown in a way that's kind of appreciating them as classics, I guess. And I think I think that that's where people should have fun and not be not not feel restricted by. Um, you know the top 100 list you know it's um there's an audience out there for everything at the end of the day um and it's uh trying to kind of yeah help facilitate you know the um the means for people to to go and see it to to talk about it and um you know because with social media now and and so much happening online there's there's um you know it's as good a time as any to help films um, have more of an audience, I guess. And, and that, that's really exciting. That'll be what's really interesting to see in the next, uh, uh, in the coming years and decades, I guess. So, yeah. We asked Jack if he thought re-releases and exhibition of older titles provides opportunities for audiences to re-evaluate a film. Um, I, no, I think definitely. Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, debate around... Um, should certain films be played you know i mean the the birth of a nation for example um you know there are there are titles like that um you know gone with the wind even and i think it's you know there's there there just needs to be context around around films that are are played and um and you know these are uh, you know such films are are massive um you know kind of um they are very, they're very significant works within film history and culture. And so I think, you know, there needs to be uh, the right context put around it. And ultimately as well, you know, this is where, um, you know, programmers should be worth their salt in, in, know it, in knowing why they're deciding to play a film and, um, and, and giving good reasons for it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer as well in, you know, the best theatres that we work with are ones that really consider what they want to play and use, you know, put uh, an element of curation behind it. You know, I think the theatres that, you know, really plan, um, you know, seasons around um, around new releases or, um, you know, they, they just kind of, they, they riff other films off one another, they, they create a conversation around it where you still enjoy that big first run film, but then, there's just extra context around it. I mean, sometimes, obviously, that you know, you get a lot of, um, um, say, Martin Scorsese retrospectives with The Irishman uh, being released, or you know, just director retrospectives, um, actor retrospectives, just to fall in line with something. But I think um, you know, there are there are theatres again, the likes of the Glasgow Film Theatre, or there's a great theatre in Rotterdam called Kino that um, opened in line with the. Uh, Rotterdam Film Festival, um, I think, is a way for for them to expand. But they do fantastic work on uh, seasons and retrospectives that will tie in with a new film coming out, or just as an additional part to their program in general. And I think, it, um, you know, they will, uh, you know, they will play stuff that just covers covers the the, the wide audience base, I guess. And um, I think, um, you know, there's um, that the 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 great thing about film is you know people have got such strong opinions on it so i don't think that should ever be stopped um and i think that's one of the real fascinating things about delving into repertory films is that you know there's so much there that um you know still stands the test of time from a you know from a kind of filmic point of view but also can uh, fold into contemporary debate um you know we were discussing a film like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington uh, by Frank Capra and whether that could be an interesting title to 
push next year in line with, well, particularly a US presidential election year. And you know, I myself watched that film a few years ago and just found it, you know, extremely informative around, you know, the US political system and and uh, democracy, um, you know, within, um, you know, within the, the US political sphere, I guess. And it's also just a really well made crafted film with a great performance from James Stewart. And I think, you know, that's a film from the 1940s that, um, again, you know, that is a film, for example, you know, um, again, to go outside of what we do as re-releases, we work with the CNC, the main uh, national film body in, in France, and they, uh, they work with um, various regions around the country to provide educational programs that centre around films. And so they work with distributors to select films that in turn will have, you know, a kind of handbook that talks about the themes of that of that film and then uh, that can be taken into a, a classroom to have a kind of full lesson around it. Um, and one of those is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and, you know, literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of school kids across France uh, watched that film and then had a whole lesson around politics and democracy and so on and it kind of shows how film can be so informative in that way um, it can really you know help uh, from an educational point of view too. We wanted to know what was important to bear in mind when thinking about design and marketing elements of a re-release. So well we, we've got an in-house designer um, so you know a trailer um, you know we often work with a company called Synchronicity in London that uh, cut a lot of our trailers um, which is I mean it's very much a collaborative process with us but um, you know they, they do they do great work um, on trailers that we do. And I mean, I guess it is case by case, obviously, um, you know, one thing that um, we, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the practical side of things that, again, I suppose um, audiences are not as aware of is that there, there are often guidelines around what can and can't be done. Um, so often, often, you know, even trailers or posters that we will put out as part of a release are very close to the original. Um, you know, for example, Jaws this year, we cut a brand new trailer for that, which, um, you know, one notable difference is the length of trailers has certainly um, decreased over, over the years and often they're, you know, maybe a minute long and you just really want to like grab that attention from someone rather than it revealing the entire plot of a film as they sometimes used to, or you have the actors walking around set, um, <laughs> you know, talking about the film and it's the five minutes long. I would definitely encourage people to watch the, original trailer of The Bishop's Wife. It's a five minute video essay about the film, not really a trailer. <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, but yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think the length of a trailer is something and really kind of, uh, there's such a focus on trying to grab people's attention so quickly now. So you need to be slightly mindful of that, but you just need to start the theme tune of, um, of Jaws mm. and then, you know, people are probably hooked from that. Um, but the poster is, um, is definitely updated and is different to the original, but it's the shark, it's the woman in the water, it's the red tight face at the top. You don't really want to mess with that. Um, you know, some some films are classic for a reason in that sense and have such a such an iconic look to them as well. Um, so we need to so we kind of need to be kind of mindful of that because maybe you just don't want to mess with that. Also, there are as I said guidelines about what can and can't be done. You know. Um, 
people probably will know this, but you know, the likes of the Avengers trailer, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s head will have to be a certain size, you know, compared mm -hmm. to others. And this is also very relevant to, to films that, um, you know, to creative material that we are creating too. Um, you know, wh where we can be creative with it, we certainly will. I think it's just being respectful of the film, what, what can and can't be done from a legal perspective. Um, and then and then take it from there really um, but it's uh, I think one I mean we're looking to try and do more video content as well because obviously that's a massive part of campaigns now and um, again it's it's moving past just the trailer or just the poster and trailer it's you know the kind of the wider kind of group of assets as as, uh, as people call them to um, you know to make up your your social media campaign or your PR campaign and so on um, but I mean one thing that we've also done um, recently on on a few films and we're doing for a re-release we have coming up of Eyes Wide Shut, uh, Stanley Kubrick's film uh, which has its 20th anniversary this year and um, for for that we, uh, we actually made a, an 8 minute short film that we produced in-house and this was in collaboration with the Kubrick estate and um, you know speaking with Jan Harlan who was a major part of you know the production of the films and um, uh, Katharina Kubrick as well and other you know people from Warner Brothers for example at the time the film was originally released uh, we had interviews with them to talk about um, the release of the film and obviously it came at a time very close to Stanley Kubrick's passing um, you know and you know the, the family all of a sudden had to get involved in the the release of that film and it's you know very um there's a very kind of emotional and raw story behind it and it's also one of his films that is perhaps less um kind of explored maybe than um you know the likes of the shining or clockwork orange or um 2001 a space odyssey so um, you know, we, we premiered the short film at the Venice Film Festival recently and um, we're using that as part of our campaign to say, well, here's the film, you know, the, the trailer has, you know, promotes the film plus the short film as well, which is a tricky thing to, to get right. Um, and then, you know, it does have the kind of traditional poster artwork to go alongside it. Again, the artwork we've done for that is basically a refresh of the original. Uh, was you know Cruz, Kidman, Kubrick, and then just uh, a kind of classic photo of them um, in the centre. Um, but you know that's something that we've added into our campaign to offer audiences real, you know, authentic insight that you would never have got before. That um, you know is is promoted through your poster and trailer, but also knowing that there's going to be something extra alongside actually just seeing the film. Um, and through that, you know, we'll have conversation, we'll have discussion events around screenings and, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get to see something that you've never seen before while also seeing a film that's now 20 years old. So I think, um, you know, we, we want to be creative with the with these things and, um, you know, there's, uh, there's lots of ways you can do it and I think it's something that, uh, you know, we need to... Um, you, you just think of on a case-by-case -case basis, I guess. You know, so, some things, I suppose, maybe are more fun and don't need it and people just want to go see the film and have a great time um, Alien and that documentary is a great example I mean that would be that would be a you know if, if you if you like that that type of film you know science fiction blockbuster and so on you're watching memory and then watching Alien that would be a fantastic film night you know it's a, a bit of time commitment I guess but um, 
you know it's so yeah there, there's lots of things you can fold into it i suppose and also you need to appreciate that people have such um can have such attachments to these films too so you want to be respectful of um of that as well i guess with a career spanning nearly a decade at park circus we wanted to know what jack's favorite retrospective films were i think some you know sometimes it's maybe those um you know a classic comedy you know i think you know watching something like Steamboat Bill Jr., as I said before, um, and seeing, um, I watched that in Bologna, and the, just the reaction of, of people watching that film, and, and you're, you're realizing that this is a film from the 1920s that still engrosses an audience, or um, a film like The Apartment, um, which is just such a, you know, such a wonderful film, and, um, you know, we presented that at the Cannes Film Festival in a new restoration a couple of years ago, and it was, um, you know, really a full screening room and, um, you know, just the, the reaction and, and afterwards as well, you know, people just saying, you know, how, you know, how they just, you know, didn't forget, but just, you know, reminded them how great a film it was and just how amazing it looked too. And um, I think that there's just, th those moments are, are particularly satisfying and I think encourages to do that extra work as well. And I think, you know, anyone that works within the film industry, if they're not going to screenings that, uh, I mean, all range of screenings, you know, whatever it might be, um, you know, going to see Captain Marvel to going to see the apartment at your local theatre, you know, I think going and just like reminding yourself of that experience because, you know, ultimately, you know, I, my job is an office job. I'm very fortunate that I get to go to um, uh, some film festivals and markets to meet with programmers that we, that we book films for. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think that that essence of what you get from being in the cinema is, is always amazing. Oh, I really enjoyed that. Jack sounds great. He's a really kind man who obviously just loves what he does and has such an interest in not just films, but audience reactions and, 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 and cinema curation. Yeah, I really liked how he talked about um, how an audience's reaction to a film could be really fluid and how a film, you never really know what the classic of the future is going to be. You never really know what's going to be the new film that kind of keeps the lights on. Um, oh, a nice little teaser to our next episode. It is, isn't it? Nice. Didn't even know you were going to do that. I know, it was off the cuff. Loved it. Yeah, we got a great one coming up next, guys. If you love cinema, if you love Christmas, if you love coziness, our next episode is the one for you. Absolutely. Can't wait for to tune in which reminds us we really do want to know what you think about the podcast and any other thoughts that you've got around the subjects we're discussing so please tell us what you think on twitter which is at cinema for all pod or you can rate and review us on itunes as well which really helps us find more listeners but for now it's time to roll credits producer jay platt logo designed by lydia lipinski at thoughts make things hosted by jack chell and abby standish with thanks to jack bell at park circus deborah parker and sheffield live the cinema for all podcast is supported by the bfi awarding funds from the national lottery thank, thank you, you.